The word we'll be reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. The sermon is actually organized around the first five verses, and we will cover some of verses 6 through 16. But join me now as we read the Holy Word of God. And I, brethren, when I came to you, did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. I was with you in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. And my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, that your faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Father, we rightly bow before you and before your holy word. Lord, we want to grow in our love for you and for your word, and we thank you that in the power of the Holy Spirit, we can pray this, and you will achieve it for your glory. We love you, and we praise you, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, in the precious name of Jesus, amen. Well, two weeks ago, we looked at Acts chapter 17, and how Paul there in Athens, how he uh, was very observant to the culture that was around him. He observed these things, and he was moved. Actually, his his heart was moved. He was grieved uh, because he saw all the darkness around him and the idolatry around him, and he spoke then. He spoke with boldness. He spoke with clarity and zeal uh, and wisdom from uh, the Lord, first of all, of who God is. God is the creator of all. And then he spoke about who man is to them. And they didn't understand anything right about God or who they were. And he spoke about the Lord who rose from the dead and who will judge all people unless they repent. And we'll see today in in this text from the Word of God uh, a little bit more of how Paul evangelized. A little differently here. We're looking at a different perspective. And as he spoke the gospel to the Corinthians this time, verses 1 through 5 is a little bit more how not to speak in one sense, uh, how not to speak. And then in verses 16 through 16, more of how we are able to speak with wisdom. In chapter 9 of this letter to the Corinthians, Paul said, uh, he showed that he was willing to deny himself for the sake of the gospel. He's willing to work and to sacrifice and to speak to different cultures in order to help them uh, better to understand the scriptures, to speak with wisdom according to the people he was speaking with, so that they could understand the gospel. Chapter 9, verse 12 says, Nevertheless, Paul said, we, he and the ones with him, we have not used this right. And he was talking about this right that he was denying was for their financial support rather than doing tent making. So he said, we've not used this right. But we endure all things lest we hinder the gospel of Christ. He said, I'll do anything. I do not want to hinder the gospel of Christ. And may the Lord give us wisdom, dear family, to learn to communicate the gospel so as to remove as many hindrances as we can, as the Lord gives us grace to do so. And then more in chapter 9, verses 19 through 23, Paul said, For though I am free from all men, in other words, I'm not your slave, I have made myself a servant. In other words, I'm kind of like a slave to you. I'm humbling myself. He wasn't asking them also to adjust for him, to him. But he said, I I have done this. I've become like a slave to you in a way that I might win the more. 
That was on his heart. He wanted to win people. He knew it was by the grace of God. And we too are servants to those that we seek to reach with the gospel. And Paul went on, he said, to the Jews I became as a Jew that I might win Jews, to those who are under the law as under the law, that I might win those who are under the law, to those who are without law as without law, not being without law, he corrected toward God, but under law toward Christ, that I might win those who are without law. To the weak I became weak, that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all men, that I might by all means save some. And then he said, now this I do for the gospel's sake. This I do for the gospel's sake. So he became all things, things that were allowable in the word, of course, in order to share the gospel clearly with different uh, kinds of people, different cultures. And may we learn here more about that. This year especially, uh, this year, uh, how to become better communicators of the gospel and to keep learning in that. We will always be learning in that. We can never stop learning in this as Paul was. So first of all, verse 1, we're going to think a little bit about evangelism and how and what to speak here. And Paul said, and I, brethren, when I came to you, I did not come with excellence of speech or of wisdom, declaring to you the testimony of God. He made it clear to them. He was reminding the Corinthians, I loved you so much. I came to you in this way. And we'll, he's referring to some people who didn't come that way who were in Corinth. So he said, I came when I came. So he's distinguishing himself, I believe at least, from the false apostles in Corinth, those who were pretty big in their own estimation, and also how uh, he didn't want himself to be the focus. This word excellence here, which he is not claiming, can also mean, in Greek, superiority. It can also mean preeminence. He was certainly not claiming that, wanting that. And that's how the false apostles were acting. They were claiming eminence, and certainly how we should never act. And Paul ended 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 saying, God has chosen the foolish things of the world to put to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to put to shame the things which are mighty, those who think they're mighty. And if we glory, dear family, if we glory at all, it should be in the Lord Jesus Christ, not in us, not in our abilities that he gives by his grace, not in the wisdom he gives us in the power of the Holy Spirit. The focus should not be on us. We should not be seeking the intention or the praise, accolades, anything, but we should rightly turn that to the Lord Jesus. And so turn their thoughts, those people we are seeking to reach, their thoughts should be pointed to the Lord Jesus as much as possible and not make ourselves the focus. And of course, the Lord uses us, he uses the there are personalities. He uses the gifts that he's given us uh, in this uh, commission that he's given to us. And we should glorify him for those, and we should use them uh, for his glory. But in the end, it should be the gospel. It should be the word of God we want them to be impressed with. We want them to be impressed with the gospel, that it would make an impression on them by the grace of God. Not, even if we are eloquent, not by that. And we should pray that the Spirit enables us to communicate the truth of the gospel in a way that is Spirit-led for that particular person or that particular group. And we might learn various ways, of course, and we might learn patterns, and that's okay uh, to learn certain methods maybe that we tend to use, for example, uh, or more frequently use, but we must always be ready to basically offer ourselves to the Lord, change it, Lord, if you will, 
and to the leading and the guidance of his Holy Spirit as we are speaking, even as we are speaking. But the message does not change. How we communicate, I believe, we can always be growing in that. May it be so. And so Paul is telling us here how not to, to declare the testimony of God, basically. And there are a number of things we are not to do in, this, in these five verses. In fact, there are four nots here. Here, first of all, that is not to showcase ourselves. We're not to speak like we think other gifted speakers do. We're not to mimic them because look how they did that necessarily. God will use us when we speak his truth with humble hearts. And I was thinking of what Jared said, how much of that relates to what I'm sharing here about humility. How that is how we must communicate with humble hearts. God will use us if we have humble hearts. Paul wanted to speak as clearly as he could, as clearly as possible about what God gave him to declare. That is the gospel in Jesus Christ. And as I've noted before, Paul was probably not an eloquent speaker. I think he was a, a dynamic speaker, if you want to use that word. Maybe not eloquent like the people on Mars Hill. You know, they weren't too impressed by him. Uh, he was not seeking praise anyway as an orator. And it would seem that he was not regarded that way by them, uh, or at least by their Greek standards as uh, for orators. Now, some of the Corinthians, uh, I believe the false apostles, who were trying to undermine Paul's ministry in Corinth, this is what they said of Paul. And this is in Paul's words, 2 Corinthians 10.10. 10. For his letters, they say, are weighty and powerful, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech contemptible. Didn't stop Paul, I don't think, right? These people think he's, his, the way he speaks is contemptible. Now, his physical appearance, maybe his voice was an issue, but, you know, they may have been weak. He may have appeared weak. He may have been unimpressive to them anyway. Uh, and maybe his speaking style was poor, but was he effective? Yes. Ha, he is amazingly ex effective by God's glory. And in Athens and in Corinth, by God's grace. He was an effective speaker, and he was knowledgeable. In fact, he said, for, to, somewhat to his defense, in uh, chapter 11, 2 Corinthians 11, verse 5, for I consider that I am not at all inferior to the, these most eminent apostles. I believe he's being a little bit sarcastic here. You know, they claim to be eminent. So he said, these most eminent apostles. Now, in authority, he knew he was called. So he's certainly preeminent over them in that, and he's also certainly so in his love for them. He loved them dearly. And then he said, even though I am untrained in speech, yet I am not in knowledge. I am not in knowledge. And he spoke the truth of the gospel of Christ using all that the Lord had given him, trusting that God would move hearts as he wills by the power of the word of God and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Now the apostle Luke said of Paul, and Barnabas, this is when they were preaching to Gentiles in Antioch, the big city, and almost the whole city had gathered. And the Apostle Luke said in Acts 13, 48, and as many as had been appointed to eternal life believed. They believed that. And we may feel untrained like Paul, but God will cause us to be effective for his glory. And as, this is as he measures effectiveness to reach those appointed to eternal life. God will use us. Paul also grew in skill. Even the Apostle Paul, you might not think that. He didn't have everything figured out in the beginning there. The Lord helped him grow in his ability to communicate. 
during his years of ministry, and we should seek to do that too. We can never say, wow, I'm so effective now. No, of course not. That would not be the humble way to go about this. So this is part of our, of our focus this year, actually, to ask the Lord to train us, in a sense, to make us more skillful, that we'd press ahead in this and to grow in skill as we reach out more. Of course, we have to reach out to grow in skill. We have to speak and able to grow in ability to present the gospel. Now, Paul knew that his effectiveness, his effectiveness and his power were not primarily because uh, he had developed his speaking skills. And he, in fact, he avoided relying on rhetoric and persuasion, techniques of persuasion to bring people to Christ. And this is a verse that most every week I meditate on, if not every day, as I think of my ministry, the ministry God has given me here. 2 Corinthians 3, verses 5 and 6. As Paul said, not that we, he felt, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves. Our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. He will make us sufficient. God makes us sufficient to carry out his commands. He's commanded us. He's commissioned us. He knows we're not capable without his grace. But he will make us sufficient as we walk in the spirit and take steps of faith to please him. And he's called us to speak. And as we obey, he will make us sufficient to minister. He will make us sufficient to share the gospel in ways that maybe we can't even imagine right now for us doing, because we haven't done it before, or we're afraid to do that. Now, the Pharisees recognized something about the disciples. They recognized, this is in Acts chapter 4, verse 13. And it says there, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, in other words, their effectiveness yeah, they were amazingly effective, and the Pharisees were uh, a little d disturbed by that. And it says, they perceived then that they were uneducated and untrained men, at least according to their standards. And it says, they marveled. They marveled. And they realized, this is what they concluded rightly, and they realized that they had been with Jesus. They had been with Jesus. And so their communication was such that they, were, they marveled at it. And we're not seeking for people to say that about us. But they will, I believe, and we will glorify God. He will be glorified that even though we may be uneducated and untrained, he will use us. He will give us a boldness we don't think we have. Peter and John did not have the education, maybe, or the speaking skills that the Pharisees had, but they did have boldness, and they had an ability to communicate as the Lord led them that was very powerful. It was very powerful. And that's what the Pharisees marveled at. Where did they get this? And they really marveled at what they were really marveling about was that they had seen the power of God. They'd seen the power of the Holy Spirit working through these uneducated uh, people. And they marveled. They were rightly, they were marveling. They didn't know so much at the power of living God in these men. But Peter and John were powerful because they had been trained and because they had been taught by Jesus. In fact, they were powerful because they had been with him. They had been near him. And they spoke from that experience. They spoke from their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and by the leading of the Holy Spirit, of course. And if we are to be effective, dear family, in communicating the good news, foundationally, we must be spending time with the Lord Jesus. We must be in his presence. 
enjoying him, growing and enjoy in, in his presence. He is our message. When you think about it, if you're going to go out and talk about who Jesus is, you have to know him. You have to delight in him. The more you delight in him, the more you'll want to speak. And our love for him and our salvation by his sacrifice will motivate us uh, to speak others, to speak to others. William Carey, this is a quote that uh, Phil's often shared, and I will share it again. Expect great things from God. Attempt great things for God. And indeed, may we expect great things from God this year and going forward from this year. Because he is able to do all things. He's able to do anything. And we should pray that way. We should pray that way. We should expect effectiveness and fruit as we share the gospel. Because we have been with him. We have been with Jesus. And may we attempt great things for God beyond what we have done in obedience to this commission that we've been given for the glory of God. We must take action in this. And we show our dependence on God in this great commission by prayer, primarily. And we show our love for him as we obey and we go out and we labor with all that is within us. We offer it to him, knowing that our sufficiency, again, and our effectiveness is from his spirit, the leading of his spirit. So let's be steadfast this year and from now on. Let's be immovable in our resolve to proclaim the gospel and to know that we're doing it together. You're not just doing this on your own. Let us be always abounding in the work of the Lord that we have been given, this commission, to testify to the gospel of the grace of God with growing wisdom, of course, with growing love for the Lord and for these people who are lost, and growing clarity also. And may we be like Paul when he was saying goodbye to the Ephesians before he got on the ship and he was never going to see them again. This is in Acts 20. And he was told at that time that from now on, he's told by the Holy Spirit that persecution awaits you wherever you're going to go. This is what he said. May we say it like this. None of these things move me. I don't care if I'm going to be persecuted in every place I'm going to go to from now on. Nor do I count my life dear to myself so that I may finish my race with joy and the ministry which I received from the Lord Jesus to testify to the gospel of the grace of God. He was not going to stop carrying out his part of the commission. And he was willing to give his life. And he did to finish his calling. And we, dear people, are commissioned to testify to the gospel of the grace of God just as he was. And may we trust in the Lord to help us fulfill our ministry, to make us finishers in the ministry we have in this church and as individuals in this church. And that will likely come with some sacrifice. Well, verse 2 says, I believe, it tells us evangelism should come through our simple and our focused gospel message. Verse 2 says, <clears throat> Paul said, For I determined not to know anything among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. So Paul was determined. He had planned, he had determined and prepared. He was resolved to share the gospel in a very clear way, in a very focused way, removing all the hindrances he could. And that focused way basically was to keep the Lord Jesus the focus. That was his focus. 
One commentator, commentator said he believed that, <coughs> that the, this commentator believed that because of the relatively few results in Athens, which is where he was before he came to Corinth. So he came from Athens, went to Corinth. Um, it caused Paul to maybe rethink how he was communicating or he determined to not to use uh, eloquence or uh, the same way of uh, communicating the gospel uh, as he did in, in Athens. At least uh, in Corinth, he was changing this a little bit. He was communicating very simply. And maybe Paul did adjust his way of communicating some here in Corinth compared to Athens, but I believe his focus was always Jesus Christ and his death and his resurrection, always. Calvin said, Paul does not mean here that he preached nothing except Christ, ex uh, ex respecting Christ, I'm sorry, let me say this again. Calvin said, he does not mean here that he preached nothing <coughs> respecting Christ except the cross. But that, with the way that the, the Greeks looked at the cross as utterly foolish, that Paul was basically saying, nevertheless, I'm still going to preach Christ crucified. That's what he's saying. It's like saying Paul is saying, crucified though he was, whether you like it or not, I'm going to proclaim him. That will be on my lips. And to others it appears foolish, but Paul knew that the crucifixion is part of the gospel message and it is the wisdom of God to save us in that way. And the cross must be proclaimed, as does the resurrection. Those who didn't want to appear foolish, I think, maybe the false apostles, they, maybe they avoided talking about the cross because that was for criminals. It was a curse to hang on that. And so they were too concerned, probably, maybe, about what others would think of them. They wanted to be considered wise and educated. And this reminded me of some Christians when they create, uh, to me, all sorts of strange explanations, bizarre things, really, I think, for the simplicity of creation in Genesis. So that they, maybe they don't appear unscientific, according to the so-called science of evolution. Well, Calvin also commented that Paul here decided not to use man's wisdom, spoken with great skill, <clears throat> because he had a certain desire. And this is what Calvin concluded. One thing only, this is kind of what he's saying Paul was thinking and saying, one thing only that my heart was set on, that I might preach Christ with simplicity. With simplicity. In the sermon on Acts 17, Paul in Athens, <clears throat> I shared this from uh, the book Tell the Truth by Will Metzger. And I might likely share this again in the future uh, as we go through the series on the Great Commission and on evangelism. But Metzger said this, anyone who makes the gospel sophisticated, makes it that way, makes the gospel sophisticated and abstract, is not making a New Testament proclamation, but is trusting in human understanding and his own wisdom. May it not be so here. That is the point of, one of the main points of this sermon. In John 4, the Lord spoke to the woman at the well, and she had a lot of questions. She asked the Lord Jesus a number of questions, kind of put them in there in the process of the Lord sharing with her and some comments too. But the Lord kept the focus on who he was. And that was most important for her to come away with because knowing him would be the beginning of the answer to all these questions that she had, to all of her needs. J.I. Packer said this in Evangelism and Sovereignty of God. He said that evangelism means to present Christ Jesus himself, the living Savior and the reigning Lord. 
as the only hope of all men. Now, of course, he goes on in the book, talks about presenting the atoning work of Christ on the cross and then uh, giving a summons to repent and turn in faith. But his first statement on what is evangelism, that's what he said. Evangelism, evangelism means to present Christ Jesus himself, the living Savior and the reigning Lord. And of course, we or someone will later maybe have to help thoughtful non-Christians with their honest questions. We can't just not answer some of those. And I believe it's good to be ready and to learn uh, some of those common questions that we might be asked and to be ready to share with them. Now here, Paul said he determined not to know anything among them that did not focus on the person of the Lord Jesus and on his work through his death on the cross. He determined. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 1, the Jews request a sign. They wanted some miracle. And the Greeks seek after wisdom. But Paul said, but we preach Christ crucified to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Greeks foolishness. So the Jews, it was a stumbling block because they could not imagine how could our Messiah, if he is the Messiah, how could he be cursed and hang on a cross? Doesn't make sense. And the Greeks, they just thought it was foolish. The cross and the resurrection and he's your God and to them it was folly. And we should fix it in our minds also as we speak with others that our words, that our message would primarily be about our Lord and would point to him. That it wouldn't, we wouldn't let it get too far down the road in any other direction. We should focus on who he is and his finished work on the cross and of the resurrection. In his prayer to his father, the Lord Jesus said in, in John 17, I have finished the work that you have given me to do. I finished it. And what was that work? His work was uh, that he gave his word to his disciples and he gave his life on the cross. He finished his work. So when you think of Jesus Christ and his person, of course, we could take the next many hours of this day and months and years and focus on who our Lord Jesus is. You may not have that much time if you're sharing, but he should still be the focus. And we, praise God, have an eternity to think about and get to know our Lord Jesus more. But, for example, if you're sharing the gospel, you might say something about the Son of God. What does that mean? And that he is God. He is the Son of God and God. Who came as a man. He was a real man. And he came and he died on a Roman cross in a, in a cruel way as someone cursed to pay for people under condemnation. And he's our mediator. He's our only mediator. And he's our Lord and he's our master and he's our king and he's our savior. You can use any or all of those titles uh, when you are sharing. And that could be a part of a gospel presentation because it helps us understand or helps them understand who is Jesus? I remember in Japan, they didn't, if you said, do you know who Jesus is? Never heard of him. Where is he? They didn't know who he was. They never heard the name. I think maybe many in our culture are closer to that now than, than I, when I was younger. So some of these titles, <coughs> excuse me, will be, could be part of a gospel presentation with explanation. Now, one thing I thought, too, <coughs> as Phil and I were driving back on Friday, we reviewed a little bit, <clears throat> we thought a little bit about the book Gentle and Lowly, which you all have. And I got to thinking of how 
I'm not sure how often I've shared that in a gospel presentation. The Lord who died on the cross, the Almighty God, came also as a man, and he was gentle, and he was lowly of heart. And he revealed his heart to us for a reason. He's gentle and lowly of heart. He humbled himself to the point of dying on a cross for you, we could say. Now, you might not say this following passage from Colossians 1 to someone you are sharing with, but knowing this, and you might, but knowing this about the person of our Lord Jesus can and should strengthen you. Colossians 1, verses 15 through 18. This always comes to my mind if someone says, who is Jesus? He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created that are in heaven, that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have the preeminence. He is preeminent. And then we should think about uh, his work, his work on the cross, Jesus Christ crucified, his work of redemption. And why did he have to die? And most people will wonder that. Why did he have to die? And that he that he died and that he rose from the dead to pay for sin. It had to be paid and to give us eternal life. Now, if you just knew you had a brief time to share about the person and the work of Jesus Christ, you might think about what verse or even part of a verse would would I like, would, would be good for me to do. And when we were having the young men's meetings here over the years, One thing we went through was um, how to share the gospel, Uh, but we talked about Romans 6.23, and we called it, uh, well, the navigators called it, uh, if you're going to do one verse evangelism, uh, this is an example of how to do that with Romans 6.23. One verse evangelism. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Anyone can memorize that? Many of you have memorized it. And so, and that's part of the Roman road uh, verses. When you think about it, you could share, well, the wages of sin is death. You, you do have to declare that. That has to be understood at some level. The wages of sin, what you get for your sin, what is that? Well, then you, you begin explaining what that is. It's outright rebellion against the creator, the one who made you. You're in rebellion. You're in sin. So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, who is the mediator between this gap. He's the only way to bridge that gap. So, one verse of evangelism. Just a suggestion. So our message, though, primarily is Jesus Christ and who he is and his work on the cross and his victorious resurrection to redeem his own people and to give them eternal life. And then Paul shares very openly here, very openly. He was not hiding anything to the, with the Corinthians so that they would know that the power of the word that he shared with them is not because of his strength. He is the messenger. Verse three, evangelism must come and will be effective if it comes through our weakness and our humility. Verse three, I was with you, Paul told them, in weakness, in fear, and in much trembling. Again, can you picture Paul this way? He was trembling. And we may understandably have been or he may have uh, understandably been weak 
uh, physically uh, and even somewhat discouraged after his treatment and his response in various other places that he had been. But he pressed on in faith and he admitted his weakness. He admitted them, which would, he knows, glorify the Lord and would demonstrate the power of God, not his own strength. Paul openly said he was weak to the Corinthians here. And he maybe, maybe he was talking here about the, the fear of faithfully carrying out his, this awesome calling that he has among the Corinthians. He was the apostle to the Gentiles. Of, it's a daunting task. And of being faithful to that high calling, maybe. But I believe it also at least means he knows, he knew he was very weak. And he's willing to be weak that the Lord who is strong would be exalted through his life. And, you know, we may also feel weak. Especially as you go out and you're going to share, you're going to share with a stranger maybe. You feel weak. Might feel weak physically. You might even tremble some. That's okay as you share the word. I have. I remember some of my first times when in the dorm <clears throat> and uh, my voice was so dry, I basically almost couldn't speak because <laughs> I was so nervous. And I was sweating, and my hands were wet, and I was wishing, well, I wish the moisture was in my voice, not on my hands and on my body. But it was the opposite of what I wanted. But I still spoke, and God gave grace. And that is why we must pray every time we share the word. And it might be very brief. It might be in your mind, oh, Lord God, please give me grace and strength. And that is why we also must prepare and we must keep growing in readiness. One of the intentions of these four or five meetings, maybe the first one being on March 19th, is that we'll help each other in this and encourage each other to be prepared. We may still be fearful sometimes, but God will give us grace to speak. And it is wise to remember that he is our strength and his word is powerful in the spirit when we don't feel that way. It's almost healthier to feel that way. And it's okay to know that you are weak and even fearful. But that is no excuse, of course, not to speak. We have a message that we've been commanded to give, and we have to speak it. In fact, in the kingdom, your weakness is when you will rely probably more fully on the power of the word and the power of the Holy Spirit to guide you. You won't make assumptions that I can do this thing. You'll be stronger because you are relying on his strength. And, of course, it is also wise to consider what specific weaknesses you personally have in this task, this mission to proclaim the gospel. And then work to alleviate that. We can help each other in that. To alleviate as many of those weaknesses as you can. Anything that might hinder the gospel, like Paul, like I shared earlier, Paul was seeking to do. Not, whatever might hinder the, you from presenting the gospel. Now, it could be, you know, you might think, well, what are those? Well, one could be, I don't know enough. I really doubt that in this congregation. Every little one in this congregation knows enough of the gospel to share some of the gospel. But, okay, maybe it is knowledge, and you, and you can read more. There's many good resources out there. And you can ask Lord, the Lord to help you to grow in that knowledge. And again, as a congregation, we want to do that together. Now, it might be skill. You say, well, I don't, I just, I don't have skill like this person over here. Uh, I don't know, I have as many verses memorized or whatever. But basically then, we, you can practice. We, we need to practice. And yes, uh, some memorization is, is needed. And it might be fear. I just, I'm, you know, I'm so fearful. I don't know how to deal with it. 
And uh, in that case, I would say we need to cling to the promises of God. We need to claim them and go out and do this in, in faith in the promises of God. And we should give thanks for those areas. There are some areas maybe we can't change. And give thanks for them because God will be exalted even in those. Praise God. In 2 Corinthians 12, this is when the, uh, the, the Lord said to Paul in response to Paul's prayer for relief, he had an affliction and I believe he felt that was hindering uh, his ministry. So he asked this of the Lord. But the Lord said, you know what he said. My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. My grace is sufficient. And Paul responded, well, in, in a sense, if that's true, then I will most gladly boast in my infirmities. And Paul, we just saw he did that. He said, I was weak, I was trembling in front of you. It's almost like a boast that the power of Christ may rest upon me. He wanted the power of Christ to rest on him, and he knew that it would be uh, by admitting that he is weak. Boasting in ourselves outwardly or inwardly is very foolish, and it weakens us. It makes us weaker and less effective in carrying out our, this commission. And even if we are gifted to speak, we should never present the gospel in pride. Boasting in our infirmities and our weaknesses in other words, humbling ourselves, again, like Psalm 131. Humbling ourselves, especially in prayer, makes us strong because the Lord's strength is then revealed or it's made perfect. It's shown, even in us, as weak as we are, it's shown by his grace. He who humbles himself will be exalted by the Lord, and the humble will be blessed by God's grace, and the power of Christ will rest upon him. If you want the power of Christ to rest upon you, as all of us, as we go out, to share, let's pray, let's pray for this. Let's pray for uh, our understanding of his sufficiency. And then he says, therefore, because the, Lord's, because the Lord's grace and power are shown and expressed in my weaknesses, he said, therefore, I will take pleasure in five areas of weakness here, in infirmities, reproaches, needs, persecutions, and distresses. He said, I'm going to give thanks for these, really. I take pleasure in these, he said. He could actually be happy with all of these things, knowing that that is when the strength of Christ through the Spirit can work mightily in him and bring glory to God. His heart's desire was the glory of God, all for the sake of the Lord Jesus, who is the good news. So let's think about these just for a second, each. Let's consider how these impact us proclaiming the good news. First of all, infirmities. Infirmities are weaknesses, of body and mind. Any of you have those? Yes, everybody does. And Paul had many of those maybe. But it didn't stop him. You know, we all have infirmities of some manner. How many of you have some weakness of body or mind which you believe makes it harder for you to share the gospel? It might to you seem that way, it might be actual, but can you let the Lord use even those as you present the good news? Knowing that he will use them for his glory. Infirmities. Another one is reproaches. Yeah, these are basically general disapproval. People just don't even want to hear it. They don't like you because you're trying to communicate this. So it's disapproval. There's scorn. There's maybe hatred on the one extreme and ridicule. Can we learn to deal with being reproached? With people's disapproval for what we believe? And then use that to learn and to grow stronger. 
and not allow being reproached in any way to stop us from presenting the truth of the gospel. Some of you don't know some of the things that are said to John Mays at the mill on Monday. I mean, I've, I've been shocked. I mean, John stands firm and keeps preaching. So that would take some, some getting used to, maybe. But God can give grace. Okay, needs. This, this is some kind of a necessity. Maybe, maybe it is more time to study. Maybe it's more verses memorized. Maybe you need more courage and more boldness, more something. Well, let's claim and act according to the promises of God. Philippians 4.19, my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And do you have a need? Do you have a legitimate and actual need that stops you from being involved in the Great Commission? Ask the Lord to supply. He's the one who supplies and meets needs. And then in persecutions, those are verbal and uh, maybe physical hostility, even attacks. Now for us, I believe that is mostly the fear of that right now. The likelihood for uh, actual persecution in our country, or in, for us, uh, has been slim here, for most of us, for most of our lives. But if they come, are we ready? Can we be prepared to rejoice according to Matthew 5.11? Blessed are you when they revile and persecute you and say all kinds of evil against you falsely for my account, for my sake. And then distresses. These are anxieties. You know, you're distressed. You're worried. You're concerned, uh, maybe for yourself, but also for others. Uh, or, for, you know, like Paul. Paul, I believe, uh, had concern for his colleagues that he, who he's with, he loved, and with his church family. But do we allow our worry about negative responses to the gospel to hold us back? Is that holding us back? Dear fellow ambassadors, may we learn to deal with our weaknesses and uh, negative responses by faith for the sake of Christ our King, knowing that the power of God will work in us and in those that we are communicating with. And may the testimony be here on earth and in heaven that the strength of the Lord was revealed through us in our weakness. May it be so. That his word will go forth even more powerfully than that the gospel will go forth through us in all our weakness, that God will receive the glory. In verse 4, <clears throat> I believe that evangelism, our speaking and our preaching, really, this is the main point of the sermon, must be in the Spirit. We must speak in the Spirit. And Paul here was talking, uh, speaking referred mostly to the, uh, the message of the gospel. Speaking and then the preaching was the way he communicated it, the way he presented it. So, Paul said, may my speech and my preaching, my speech and my preaching were not with persuasive words of human wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. So Paul chose, again, not to use the methods of persuasion or enticement that many in his day did through their rhetorical skills. And some evangelists in our day do. And I thought of televangelists that came to my mind. Those who can use words very powerfully uh, as far as men go. Now Paul shared the gospel in a way that demonstrated the power of the Spirit, and we must do that also. 
Now, how do we do that? How do we demonstrate the Spirit and the power of God? It is by speaking of the wisdom of God, that is Jesus Christ, by the wisdom and the power of the Holy Spirit. Notice that evangelism is a command of the Father to speak of his Son in the power of the Holy Spirit. It's by presenting his powerful word again in humility, asking the Holy Spirit to enable us to speak. And we should probably never launch out on, on, on a ministry, uh, a time of ministry without prayer. I, I, don't, I don't think we ever will, but uh, we shouldn't. And pray that, the God, that God would open the hearts and eyes of, of those we are speaking with. So primarily, we demonstrate this humility and we gain this power by prayer. And then by opening our mouths with the truth of the word. And as we saw above, Paul, Paul's very defects, whatever they were, demonstrated convincingly that the power of God was not of him. People were convinced because the Spirit took what Paul said and then saved those appointed to eternal life. J.A. Packer in Evangelism and the Sovereignty of God again. He's, this, this is wonderful. I just love that book. It's fourth or fifth time maybe I've read it. But he said, our commission is not only to preach, but also to pray. So it's kind of like there's two parts to the commission. You know, when you think of the commission, you usually think, oh, you can go out and you preach. But I really agree with this. Our commission is not only to preach, but also to pray. We have a commission to pray. They go together. Not only to talk to men about God, but to talk to God about men. Preaching and prayer must go together. We are to preach because without knowledge of the gospel, no man can be saved. And we are to pray because only the sovereign Holy Spirit in us and in men's hearts can make our preaching effective to men's salvation. And God will not send his spirit where there is no prayer. It is his way regularly to withhold his blessing until his people start to pray. And then he quoted, you do not have because you do not ask. And I got to thinking again how, how the Lord has blessed us <clears throat> in these past four or five years as we have focused on prayer. And God has greatly blessed us. And we have focused on uh, the battle, the spiritual battle. And God has blessed us and strengthened us because we're praying. And we should not think of this commission without going forth in great prayer. Now I'd like to look, just to end, at a few basic principles, matters of prayer. And it's on the back of the, the page. Don't panic. I'm not going to go through all those. Uh, it's already a little late. I'll not exegete these, but basically I'm going to give some suggestions. They're written also for prayer. And these are uh, suggestions that we can pray today, uh, this year that will help us to pray. So verses 6 through 8, I'll just read it. Speaking of Christ, who is the wisdom of God in the wisdom of the Spirit. However, we speak wisdom among those who are mature, that is spiritual, yet not the wisdom of this age, nor of the rulers of this age, who are coming to nothing. But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the ages for our glory which none of the rulers of this age knew, for if they had they known, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. So these are suggestions for prayer. Kind of a way of exegeting, I suppose. First of all, that the Lord, we should pray earnestly that the Lord would keep us from speaking or being influenced by the so-called wisdom of this age. And that he would keep us from the influence of rulers who are coming to nothing without him. 
like the men who crucified the Lord of glory. And also, that we may speak the wisdom of God about our Lord Jesus in the wisdom of the Spirit, not in the flesh, not trusting in our own power. And also, that we might be in awe and rejoice that the good news of Jesus was ordained before the ages for our glory. That joy should impel us in our witness. And that we can make known what is hidden to unbelievers as we speak and as we pray, and that God would open their hearts. Verses 9 through 12, Christ is revealed through the Spirit of God. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. That's based on Isaiah 64, 4. But God has revealed them to us through his Spirit. For the Spirit searches all things, yes, the deep things of God. And the example here was, for what man knows the things of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so, no one knows the things of God except the spirit of God. Now we have received, not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things that have been freely given to us by God. So let's pray earnestly that the Lord would reveal himself to many people this year. Not, I say many, because I want to pray big. We have a big God. Not for head counts at all. You know, not for results to bolster ourselves for our glory at all, not that. But may we, may the Lord use us mightily this year and from now on. And through us weak vessels as we preach his mighty word so that he and his word is glorified, led by the Spirit of God whom we have received by his grace. We should rejoice in this gift of the Holy Spirit and pray that we will walk in the Spirit, that we, sh- we will share the gospel in the Spirit And so that we and they, those we share with, might know that the things freely given to us by God in his gospel, the things that God has prepared for those who love him through our Lord Jesus, and that we would give thanks for his gift of salvation to us in the Lord Jesus who loves us. Verses 13 through 16, that our spirit-led words will be spiritually discerned. That we are led by the spirit to speak, they are led by the spirit to receive. These things we also speak, not in words which man's wisdom teaches, but which the Holy Spirit teaches, comparing spiritual things with spiritual. But the natural man does not receive the things of the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him. Nor can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he who is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is rightly judged by no one. For who has known the mind of the Lord, that he may instruct him? Isaiah 11. But we have the mind of Christ, so we have the Spirit of Christ revealed to us by the Holy Spirit. So let's pray earnestly that the Lord would give us words to speak, taught by the Spirit and spoken in the Spirit, and that we would have the mind of Christ as we witness, to reach people who the Lord is preparing, those chosen before the foundation of the world, who will discern the truth spiritually by the illumination of the Holy Spirit. May we reap in the harvest as well as sow. Evangelism, verse 5, is by the power of God and for his glory. Verse 5 says that your faith, he's talking to the Corinthians, and for us it would be those we are speaking with, that their faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. Paul's desire for the Corinthians, and our desire for those with whom we speak, is that their faith will be in Christ, in who he is and what he has done. And that as we share the good news, our speaking will focus on him, as we rely on his spirit, on his power. 
and those who then, then come to him, if they do so when we speak or through others later, maybe in heaven we'll know that, will cause those who have shared the, the gospel, those who have shared the gospel and the ones given new life through the gospel, to glory in him. He will receive the glory. No one will say, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of whoever, some famous person. No claim that it was ever our wisdom. The Lord said in Luke 17, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, and we are commanded to in this commission, when you have done all those things which you are commanded, say, we are unprofitable, or we are unworthy servants. We have only done what was our duty. So what we have been talking about here is the power, I believe, of humble, simple, spirit-led evangelism. That is powerful. And a power that opens the eyes of the blind. The suffering servant, our Lord Jesus, in Isaiah 42, came, it says, to open blind eyes to bring out prisoners from the prison, those who sit in darkness from the prison house. And he concluded this way, I am the Lord, that is my name, and my glory I will not give to another. Our goal and our prayer must be that we will speak the word of life, we'll testify to the gospel of the grace of God, to the lost, led by the Spirit, that their faith will be in Christ alone, through God's power and for God's glory alone. May it be so. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we rejoice. We, we rejoice that you have chosen to use us in our weakness to declare the glorious gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And we offer ourselves to do so. We offer ourselves as individuals here and as a congregation here, asking for the power of your Holy Spirit to enable us to speak the good news and to testify to the gospel of the grace of God in humility, trusting in you to open hearts and glorify your wonderful name. And we ask this in the name of the King of Kings, our Savior, and our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.